Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Mandy and the F-Bomb. Hey y'all, welcome back to Mandy and the F-Bomb. So today we've got on a guest, her name is Michelle, and she is an attorney here in town um, for kids that are involved in foster care here in McLennan County. What's neat is that she's also um, a foster care alumni herself. So she's got a really unique perspective, and I'm really looking forward to hearing from her because we we haven't been able to sit down and have a conversation even though we've crossed paths in different areas. So not only have we crossed paths because of the nonprofit that I work with, but also um, there's something here in town that's just started up. It's a foster care coalition um, just so that we can get everyone kind of who's involved and all the stakeholders on the same page so that we can more efficiently serve the foster care community. Um, And she and I are both on the steering committee together. So we've had a chance to kind of talk to each other just a little bit, but not really have a conversation. I've been so interested in your story. So um, thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, ma'am. So, so steering committee, I think is when we first had the opportunity to meet Yes, but I foster. It's Foster Village, Waco, mm-hmm. and I've known some people that have been able to utilize those services, and it's just been amazing. I've heard tons of good things. Good, good, and that's how we got personally connected because yes. after the steering committee, you reached out to me. Yes, via just email. Okay, I think to tell you how awesome you are, or, uh, your, or your organization, one of the two. We've got some really good volunteers for sure. So. Whenever you reached out to me, you were like, I have I have a unique perspective. I'm an ad litem, but also I was involved in foster care myself. And I also represent parents. I would probably represent parents primarily. Really? Yes. Um, yes, and I was in foster care myself, um, and I relate really well to my clients. I bet. <laughs> so. So, okay, there's so many, like, points of origin that we can start from here. I guess I want to... If you don't mind, I want to know a little bit about your story and what kind of led you towards being an ad litem or being kind of a representative of people involved in foster care. Um, Because I feel like sometimes stories I've heard from other people, they kind of go the opposite direction, don't want any association with foster care anymore. Well, that's what I wanted. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> that was my goal. And oh, it just, well, it just had tell to me about out. that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you're on the steering committee too. So you're just right. getting in deeper, girlfriend. I, I, that's all I do is I just keep digging my hole deeper. Um, <laughs> I i don't mind it. Um, I Most days I don't mind it either. I would say that, well, my time as a youth in foster care, when I turned 18, I ran. I wanted nothing to do with anything that had to do with foster care because yeah. of my experience. Then when I finished my bachelor's degree, I really needed a job where I made more money than what I was currently making, and CPS was hiring. And I was like, I can do this. Well, because you know the system, right? Right. right. It can't be that hard. Mm -hmm. Um, So I um, applied for and became an investigator with Child Protective Services. And after just under three years of that, I realized that is not for me because I wasn't helping people. I got to the point to where I felt like I was hurting families more than helping them, and that's not what I wanted. Can you? Okay, so a couple things there. Um, one, I'm wondering if as as you were looking at this opportunity to work for CPS, were you thinking about investigators that you were involved with as a kid and just going, oh, "I can do that." Like I know what this job kind of looks like. I mean, yeah, because whenever CPS, whenever I was a kid came out, they talked to me for like two minutes and they left and then I never saw them again. And then I was Mm -hmm. in foster care. So I just like, that's too easy. You spend five minutes with somebody and Mm -hmm. you know, there's a whole lot of other things that go on. Of course, but that was your view as a youth involved in foster care. And that's good to know. Um, Okay. And then you realized it wasn't for you because you were hurting families. You felt like. I did. Can you tell me about that a little bit? Families need help. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that help isn't a removal. Sometimes that help is resources. Um, sometimes that help is um, stuff that can be easily obtained without removing kids mm-hmm. and without sharing too much. I mean, I had a case one time, substandard housing. Mm-hmm. I had a family that I met with that had literally a giant hole in their living room floor in their trailer. Mm. And it was wintertime cold, special needs child in the home. Um, CPS, we should remove. And, but that just destroys a family and it doesn't really help the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so CPS, and I'm sure they still have this available. They had concrete funds. And so I applied for those to get building materials. Mm-hmm. I did a quote through Lowe's to figure out everything that we would need um, they had some church volunteers that end up coming in, going to pick up the lumber, fix the hole in the floor. Family stays together. But not like, not every case ends up like that. Of course. Um, because as a worker, your boots on the ground, you have supervisors that you have to mm-hmm. answer to. And so depending on who the supervisor is, mm-hmm. sometimes you don't get an opportunity to get those source, those resources for people and you just remove so, and that's, that's obviously one very unique example, but you have other stories, I'm sure, in your head just yeah. going, like, this is not a parents are actively putting these kids or kiddo in danger. This is, they don't have the resources, and they're parents that love their kid. Absolutely. Yeah. I've seen that a lot as well. Heard of that a lot, I should say as well, where we've got parents that are lacking resources or lacking um, experience in how to 
acquire resources or parent in healthy ways or break the cycles that they are in and they earnestly, desperately love their kiddos. Absolutely. And are wanting the tools and the resources to be able to be better. Um, but a lot of times, it, like you said, it's not just that I think, and you need to correct me if I'm wrong because I didn't work for CPS, but it's not necessarily that just that our caseworkers, our investigators don't, you know, may not have access to funds that are allocated for specific things or maybe there's, it's not just the red tape of supervisors and stuff like that. It's also, um, at least right now, during this placement crisis, they are overloaded and overworked. And right now it's kind of the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Oh, absolutely. And so instead of going, this is a problem that is a fixable problem, so I'm going to spend time and res- my own time and energy resources fixing this problem. It's kind of like, you know, what's the immediate solution over here? Then this problem over here that maybe wasn't a huge problem before turns into a bigger problem. And th- then that's the fire that they have to put out. Right. And it's kind of going from fire to fire rather than just being able to do kind of maintenance work to make sure it doesn't get that bad. Absolutely. The system is entirely... Um too congested, overwhelmed. Um, I know plenty of CPS workers, and like I feel for them because mm-hmm. I know that they are doing the best that they can. I know they're overwhelmed, and when you do have limited resources, and you know, and I think part of that's why I like the steering committee. It's let's get all this information together so that way we can start sharing this because there are mm-hmm. so many things that I've learned. Yeah. And I've been in McLennan County since the end of 2018 mm. dealing with CPS stuff. Um, so many resources I've never even heard of, and they've been around for years. Mm-hmm. And so I think just part of that is getting that information and that knowledge out to people. So that Absolutely. way maybe we can find other alternatives as opposed to just putting more kids into the system that's already overburdened. Already overburdened, and already we don't have enough homes enough beds for children that are in care. Right. And that's, I've never had to sleep on the floor of a CPS office whenever I was a child. As an adult, I did whenever I worked there because mm-hmm. sometimes it was just easier mm-hmm. than the drive yeah. home, you know, late nights. But it's it's something that desperately needs to be fixed. Absolutely. Okay. So um, oh. you were a young kid. Oh. You You started working with CPS you were like, this is absolutely not for me because I am not positively affecting this problem. Right. And so I then, because I'm, I want to go as far away from CPS as possible, yeah. out of sight, out of mind, right? Um, so I went, I got a job with an insurance agency and I went to school and got my license to sell um, auto insurance. So boring. Um, That's definitely yeah. a step away from <laughs> CPS. So boring. And then one of my... Good friends um, told me that I should go to law school, and there was this whole, like, definitely not smart enough for law school, and I definitely don't have the money for law school. Single parent, three kids. I'm not making, like, very much money. I'm making, like, 12 bucks an hour plus mm-hmm. some commission. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way that You're I like, can, absolutely not. There's no way I can disrupt my life like that and go to law school. And I guess I just had enough people telling me that I should do it, so I was like, okay, I'm going to take the LSAT 
but I'm only going to take it one time. And whatever score I get, that's what I get. That's going to determine what you do. Right. And I'm going to apply to law schools. And if I get in, great. And if I don't, I'm going to go about my day and just find something else to do with my life. Um, And so I took the LSAT one time. Um, I only applied to two law schools (laughs) because every school has an application fee. And I'm like, every time I apply, (laughs) that's like... 50 bucks or 100 bucks or however much it was. Yeah, and you're like, away from a my mom budget. with three kids. Yeah, like, yeah. So I'm not. And then, but I will say, like, the first one I applied to just because they had really low standards. So I thought I had a good chance <laughs> of getting in. And then I ended up going to an open house at UNT Dallas, which is where I ended up going to law school at because they were a brand new law school. Um, they have a very, they're very public service minded. And I went up there for an open house, and Dean Ferguson was talking um, just about the mission of the school and all that public service stuff. And that made me want to go to law school. And then I, so I applied because I needed to apply because time mm-hmm. frames and everything. And and I was like, I'm not applying to anywhere else because if I don't get in there, I, I don't want to go anywhere else. But then I had started having all these feelings like, oh, man, I should have studied more for that LSAT. Oh man, I should have done Ooh. all these. I should have. So worked. you're more invested than you thought you were, right? Because I, I didn't know that lawyers could be caring people. How's that? Yeah. Um, well, I. So again, kind of linking this all back to um, your experience growing up. Um, again, attorneys um, that work with kiddos are also overloaded mm-hmm. a lot of times and Absolutely. don't have time to spend time. Not all the time. We've had some really, really wonderful attorneys um, for the kids that have been in our home. Um, But I know that sometimes they just don't have time to build a relationship with their clients and really get invested. And so I can imagine you as a kid going like, okay, well, there's another adult that I have to see for two minutes that's like making decisions about my life. Yeah, um, I will say that my attorney and I had the I was able to actually talk to her few months ago I so I've realized Wait, hold on your attorney I, from my ad light and whenever I was a kid and you got to talk to her a few months ago yeah I did I, I reached out to her because um wow. it's kind of, I have all these like everything's a story and it's long and I'm sorry everything no, gets sidetracked. but please what ha- yeah so what had happened was I was having this conversation with my husband because I'm married now I got married pre right like two weeks before COVID okay everything oh, is like before COVID. Right. Yeah, because that's really <laughs> BC. whenever. And yeah. when do we start again? <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. So uh-huh. we're sitting on our front porch because we have a great French front porch for sitting. And like he's telling me things like he remembers as a child. And I'm like, I don't remember. Like, and so I'm like, I got so frustrated. Like I started crying because I could not remember these huge periods of time in my life that were really significant that I should remember. And so I was talking to a friend of mine who is a, she's a full-time ad litem for kids. And um, she was like, that's trauma. She was like, you're blocking that. And I'm like, but why? Like I'm in my thirties. <laughs> like, and, and you're telling yeah. yourself like, I'm safe now. Right. I, mm-hmm. I should be able to remember things that happened to me. And, and I realized like there's so much from the time that I went, um, the time that I went to stay in the shelter, which was right before I went into care, can until I, can I, I ask how old you were, I was fourteen. Okay, 
So from that time until the time that I aged out, like there's so much that's missing. You know, there's four years of my life and I'm, you know, have like a dozen stories that don't encompass four years. And so I was like, I need, I want to find my story. So let me see what I can do about getting my records, my court papers, just something. Because mm -hmm. here they write court reports. And I was in mm -hmm. Arizona at the time. But I'm assuming that they had the right court reports too. So someone knows, someone has written down some things about my life somewhere. So I want to track those down. I'm still in the process. It is not easy to get records, especially out of state. Post-COVID. So, yeah. Or actually, we're still active in COVID. But mm -hmm. it's just hard. And so I'm still working on that. And um I forgot where I was going. You were, with all you that, spoke but. with your oh, yeah, so, Adlitem. Oh, yeah. So I called uh, my Adlitem in Arizona. I called her office and they were kind of like, Who are you and why? Like, how long ago was that? And I was like, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, Can I just leave my name and my number for her? And mm -hmm. I left my maiden name so that way she would know who I was, hopefully. Um, I was going off that I was memorable. Um, <laughs> so, I'm sure you were. So, um, couple weeks go by and I have not heard back and I was like she doesn't remember me or maybe like she does and she's like oh no I'm not calling her I, I'm not sure yeah because my casa who I actually still keep in contact with as well mm -hmm. look Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love that. Yeah, like these were my case for some of my caseworkers I keep in contact with too. Because these were people that were huge parts of my life. Mm -hmm. Um now not all of my caseworkers are good. I had about 8 of them. And mm -hmm. um, the last one that eight I had eight in the, the 4 years that you were yeah. in care. But the last one that I had, um she was awesome. She didn't tolerate any of my crap. Um you know, and so her I stay in touch with. And then there's um, a staff member from the shelter that I lived at a lot that I keep in touch with. Um, and my CASA. I was her mm -hmm. very first CASA kid. But I could do a whole show on just CASA and how important CASA is for kids. Um, but so anyway, so I reached out to um, my attorney again. And I was, and I actually reached her this time. She was actually in the process of leaving the um, public defender's office. And she took a job with the state of Arizona. Mm -hmm. And so I just happened to catch her there. And then she tells me that they had had a fire in their office at one point. But she doesn't know if my records were in that. But the beginning of the year of 2020, they destroyed all the old records that they were legally allowed to, which mine would have been in there. So. Oh, my gosh. So now my option is I've, like, at the courthouse they're filed, but mm -hmm. I cannot... I think I had just have to go in person. Yeah, you have which, to go in person. Yeah, because they're not going to give me that stuff because I was a kid and, mm -hmm. you know, whatever rules and laws they have in place. So, 
Oh my gosh. So yeah, so that's a journey trying to find my story or all of my story and so. piece it and piece it together. Yes. So I just want to first off, I think it's really really freaking brave for you not to remember and still want to go like hmm, I know there's some trauma there. I'm, I'm going to go figure out what it was so I can put my story together cuz I think sometimes we kind of hear people go, oh, let's just kind of let it lie because I'm blocking it out for a reason. But I feel like in this kind of journey towards wholeness, um, it's so important for you to kind of dig into that stuff. And I'm assuming um, you've got a really good support system so that you can, like with your husband and oh, maybe absolutely. friends and stuff, um, so that you can do that. And it sounds like you feel confident and supported enough to be able to take that journey. I think that's really, really neat. I do. I have a friend that's already lined up whenever I get them with uh, <clears throat> booze and we're going to stay up and read and That's like and perfect. Because that's what we would need. Yeah, for sure. I also wanted to say that you are so not alone. So I was not involved in foster care as a kiddo, but um, I had my own types of trauma um, in my childhood. And I was speaking to a friend from high school recently and um, – they were going like, do you remember this? Do you remember this? We've had conversations like, do you remember this? And the answer is no. I don't remember huge portions of 14 to 18 high school years. That makes me feel better. Because, bad, and better. I just don't. Yeah. I remember what's interesting is, I and I don't know if it's the same for you, um, the memories that I do recall, um, I can remember maybe a dozen but the majority of them are hard memories that I attach, like, negative feelings to um, or shame. And there are few happy, good memories. Now, if this, like, if my friend were to bring something up, it's almost like I can remember, like, I don't know, it's foggy. But I, I'm like, oh, I think maybe I remember that. Um, but the ones that are vivid are ones that I associate with shame. I would 100,000% agree with that. Okay. Just letting you know, sister, you are not yeah. alone. <laughs> and I think that's the, so after law school and coming here and starting to do with CPS stuff, which mm -hmm. I did not want to do. Okay. But like, I don't know. There's bigger powers at play, whatever it may be. Here I am. And this is, <laughs> this is where I'm at and I'm committed now. <laughs> I'm so um, glad. Um, but it... The whole process and even into my 30s, I still had so much, and I hated calling it trauma. I hated how much everyone used the word trauma because trauma sounds so bad, mm -hmm. like I'm broken. And the whole thing is like, I know I'm broken. I don't need anyone to tell me. Mm -hmm. I don't need that label of trauma. Mm -hmm. I already know. Mm -hmm. um, but it took a lot for me to realize that, you know, the pattern of behavior that I had that I've continued on despite or in spite of like, I mean, I have a lot of good things that people see mm -hmm. me going to school, raising my children, all these good things. But I had a lot of things that no one saw mm -hmm. that was all a product of that trauma. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to really address it because then it makes everything real. And then the, I was doing things that were shameful or not, you know, mm -hmm. A lot of skeletons in the closet. Maybe that's the best way to put it. And then, you know, coming here and then getting into this, um, I still realized I had a lot of things that I was doing 
that were not good for me. They're not good for my mental health. They're not, they're going to keep holding me back. Mm -hmm. Um, I destroy things. I destroy relationships because I'm afraid of people. Oh, because Um, they leave, right? Oh, people always leave. 90 days. 90 days. Um, I will cry. I'm sorry. It's a lot. Um, but I realized like for me to get married to the man that I'm married to now, like that was a lot because my whole dating relationships before then were roughly 90 days. And I've learned that 90 days is about how long I've always stayed in places. Ah, Um, there's a connection. And so it's always your hearing this placement, foster parents, great, nice people here for a little bit. And then you're gone. Shelters, you're there, you're gone. Um, and I, I mean, I'll work with the first These thing. are 90 day cycles. Yeah, roughly. Like yeah. from what I remember, just based on, because I don't have a whole lot of memories, it takes a lot for me to piece things together. I was never any one place very long. And I was always, um, you know, it was always like, I can't stay here any longer. Mm-hmm. So, but it took a, it took a whole, oh, let me back up. I'm just going to go into like my time frame as a youth because it'll kind of help you piece things yeah. together. Um, I went in the care and I was staying in an emergency or a youth shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, I stayed there until I went to my first foster placement, which was actually um, my English teacher at high school and her husband. They had, she really liked me. I used to write a lot. Journalism was my thing. Um, and she, oh, she just wanted to take me and, I should mention that I also had a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I had had my my oldest, Cameron, at that time. Mm-hmm. And so he was not in foster care, only I was. So anyone that took us in would essentially only get paid for me, but not for him. Um, so I went there, and I thought that was because they chose me. Mm-hmm. makes you feel really good when people choose you. Absolutely. Um, and then it makes you feel really bad when people that choose you don't want you. Absolutely. So, um, that was a a placement, and then I went back to that same shelter. And I loved the people at that shelter because they were always there, because they were paid to work there. And they were always there. Mm -hmm. And they always cared for me, and they helped me, you know, learn things about child development because I had a kid, and I didn't know what I was doing Mm -hmm. with a kid. But Mm -hmm. You know, because when you're 14, you have no idea what it takes to raise a child. No, because you are a child. Yeah, and developmental milestones, like when do they start walking? Like, And so I had a whole group of people that <coughs> helped me along the way. Um, and then from there, I went to another foster home, which was a couple from church who chose me because mm-hmm. they wanted to do this for me. Um, that did not last. Um, and I never knew why they, they sent me away until I was an adult. It was, this is the saddest story ever. I'm so sorry, but I have to tell it because this was mm-hmm. a big thing in my life and maybe why I'm not a huge fan of the holidays. Um, it was right before Christmas and I don't know if it was Christmas Eve or my caseworker showed up and this was a caseworker that I did not like. She was not very kind. Um, she asked me if I was ready to go and I was like, go where? I thought she was bringing by gifts because that's what caseworkers do around Christmas time. They uh-huh. bring and drop off gifts. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you're leaving. You're going back to the shelter. And I was like, what? And she was like, they didn't tell you? And I was like, no. 
I had like 10, 15 minutes to pack up all of my and my son's stuff and leave. And back to the shelter. So. Um, so back to the shelter and I'm there. And um, caseworker comes by and they have some placement options. Um, one is a, a couple that live out on a ranch and, you know, whatever. And mm-hmm. they're willing to take me and Cameron. And the other is a essentially a not really a shelter, not really a group home either. It's a really cool place, and I would love to see something like this here in Texas. But um, there's no foster parents. It's like a group home, but you have your own little apartment. Oh, it's kind of like a assisted living kind yes. of, um, or like a transitional facility. Yes, and I was only <coughs> sixteen at the time. That's exactly what it was. And it was really cool because you like you give them 60% of whatever money you get and they put it into savings for you. So whenever you leave, you have money to set up your own apartment, mm-hmm. you know, and it was really cool. And I chose that over the foster placement um, because, well, one, it's not people that are going to say they want you and then kick you out of here. So you're protecting yourself. And so I went up to Phoenix and was living there in it was not good, and I made some very poor choices. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I was making very poor choices. Um, and so I was working. I mean, that's what I've always worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working. I used my uh, paycheck, and I bought a plane ticket to Ohio because whenever I was a kid, we had lived in Ohio some, and my mom had a friend up there that I really liked. Um, mm-hmm. And so I essentially ran away. Mm-hmm. I ran away, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, went to Ohio, and I stayed up there um, until they found me. Mm-hmm. My, my CASA worker showed up with the police at my job up there and made me go back to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up another foster home. Um, before I went to that foster home, I was in a, another foster home that was like a tr- – I don't really remember this place because as soon as we got back to Arizona, they took my son from me. Because they knew that if I, they were afraid I was going to run. This is what they told me. If I, they were afraid I was going to run again. But they knew if I didn't have my son, I wouldn't leave. And they were absolutely right. I don't know how long, because I don't remember. I don't know how long I was without my child. You blocked it out. Because, I, yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. But then we went to a foster home, and he was there with me. And my attorney because the department wanted to keep my son because it would be easier for them to find him a home because he's young, people to adopt him, than it would be people to take us together. This is way more than what I was planning on talking about today, but it's fine. Um, um, But my attorney, thank goodness, talked to the judge, and I, I think that I even spoke to the judge as well, and... Arizona has an an independent living program that you can start when you're 17. And I was almost 17. And so it was essentially like, you guys can stay here together in this foster home. And when you turn 17, you can go into the independent living program. But if I mess up, I'm losing everything. So I stayed in my foster home and... I behaved, I got a job, I did all the things, and I just waited until my 17th birthday. 
and then I got my own apartment. Um, started going to college, working, um, and yeah, and then that, and that's the bulk. And then I ended up aging out, and I opted to get out whenever I was eighteen. No wonder. No wonder it was hard for you to let people commit to you or choose you because people that choose you. And you, you, because you had said earlier, I destroy things, I destroy relationships. I, oh, because if you do it first, right, it's, then you're safe. Yeah. But the whole thing is like, I don't ever, my husband can tell you joking stories because I was still mm-hmm. in my healing process and um, whenever we first started dating because I really didn't want to date him. I, I really didn't because I knew I was not in a good place. Mm-hmm. But I was also still not going to break up with him. He was going to break up with me because then it just, it solidifies, you know, every feeling I've had that everyone always leaves me. It com- confirms everything, right? right? You know, but as an adult, I had started doing it. Like, I'm the one that's actually becoming self-destructive because yeah. I'm setting everybody up. To break up with me, but then it's your fault because, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just, and it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, one, admit to yourself that you really are the problem, (laughs) but then also to get help for that. Yeah, that's right. um, And I, because I didn't like being like that. I don't, Mm -hmm. I want to have close relationships with people. I want to have friends. I want to have people that I can trust. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's much better now. it's taken a long road, but I will tell you, like, my last bout of therapy that I went through, which was probably the most beneficial, um, and I try to get a lot of my parents that have a lot of trauma to go to EMDR therapy because it does wonders. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's personal experience. That's not, like, word on the street. No, I did that because, like I said, I feel like I can relate to my clients a lot because mm-hmm. I've been there. Like, I know that pain that you felt when CPS took your children away. I have been there. Um, and so um, so getting that help, being able to form better relationships and learn how to trust people. And that not all people are bad and not everyone is going to leave you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that's my background. The That's the short version of a very long story. Jesus. So. Um, ah, and now you're helping people mandy and the f-bomb is produced by rogue media make sure to like and follow us on social media and you can find our show anywhere you get podcasts or at roguemedianetwork.com this has been a rogue media podcast podcast